Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast that delivers cutting-edge food as medicine solutions for optimal health. Allie Miller is a nutrition expert sought up by the media and America's top medical institutes for her revolutionary functional medicine interventions. From disease treatment to prevention, every episode will empower you with ways to put yourself back in control of your health. Please note, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitians Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu. Welcome to episode 101 of the Naturally Nourished podcast. Today we're talking about a little bit of a heavier topic than we normally get into, and it's one that really gets overlooked and kind of abandoned in our healthcare system. Um, So we're talking about mental illness and suicide prevention today. I'm so excited for our guest. Yes, I I, I really feel in my book, The Anti-Anxiety Diet, I've been entrenched in more of a perspective of beyond anxiety and depression, um, mental illness, and using some of these approaches as whole body tools. But unfortunately, suicide is often a area that gets under-acknowledged until it's it's often too late. And when I developed The Anti-Anxiety Diet, I really was looking in the perspective of this HPA axis imbalance and maybe even a, a lighter hit on, on the case of the mom jitters, if you will. Um, but I suppose that these principles, as we'll talk today, of removing inflammation, resetting the gut microbiome, repairing the GI lining, restoring micronutrient status, and then rebounding the adrenals and rebalancing neurotransmitters can really even help to the level of a severe condition. And um, if someone gets too deep that they don't have the motivation to use those approaches, um, it definitely can still be appropriate for mental illness of all kinds. And I think our guest Carrie today will talk about maybe where to start if we're deeper in the trenches than just looking at kind of optimizing mood stability. And um, bringing her on, um, Carrie has personally, Carrie Brown, (laughs) personally battled mental illness, including mania and a a pretty severe, deep, dark place with suicide risk for, she says, eight months straight. And so she's going to share her story and bring some much needed light on this often under-discussed topic. Yes, I'm so, so excited to have her on with some personal family history of mental illness. And the first time I heard her talk, and actually every time I hear her talk, I get goosebumps. I'm like, thank you for bringing so much light to this. I'm so excited. So you guys likely know Carrie Brown from the Keto Evangelist Kitchen podcast, and she's really well known for her creative high-fat, low-carb recipes and her playful banter and her fabulous accent. Um, (laughs) Yes. Yes. We met her at KetoCon, and hearing her talk about mental illness, I was just totally blown away. Yes. So um, I'm going to jump into her bio, and we'll bring her right onto the show. Carrie has struggled with depression for as long as she can remember, and after she was diagnosed with bipolar 2 disorder five years ago, she decided to become her own detective and figure out the root cause. She now lives a completely free a life completely free from all medications and any symptoms of bipolar 2 disorder or depression. Carrie is a recipe developer and best-selling keto cookbook author, host of the Keto Evangelist Kitchen podcast, and partner of the Keto Evangelist Unlimited program with Brian Williamson and Danny Vega. You can find Carrie Brown sharing free keto resources at carriebrown.com and Keto Evangelist kitchen.com. Welcome, Carrie. We're so happy to have you on the podcast and share a personal side of mental illness, especially entering into Suicide Prevention Month. Hi, Ali. Hi, Becky. I'm, um, I'm really honored and, and I'm really thankful for the opportunity to, to have some airtime to talk about my journey in the hope that it will help some, some folks. Absolutely. I'm excited. Yes. Uh, on a personal level, just having bipolar actually in my family and a dear, dear friend who struggled for years 
I'm excited to pick your brain and hear your story and share it with everyone we can get this message out to. Um, so let's start by talking about the stigma of mental health. Why do you think it's under-acknowledged and overlooked? I think, I think one of the, the main reasons is fear. I think pe people generally can, they understand a broken leg. They understand without having had a broken leg, they can understand the pain and the inconvenience that that might entail. I think we, with things like um, diabetes, they can almost understand that even if they haven't had it, they can on some level understand it. But with mental health, I think there's not really a good way for most people to relate to it or to understand it unless they've had it. And people tend to be scared of things they can't understand or things they can't relate to. So I think that's the biggest problem with the, the whole stigma thing is that, that people can't understand it unless they've experienced it. And maybe that there's not as much to see, you know, as uh, there's not an x-ray, right? There's not going to be diagnostics necessarily. I, I'm sure we'll get into some functional deep root diagnostics, but that there isn't maybe that tangible evidence. Uh, do you think that plays a role as well? I do, um, because it's, it's, I think it's very easy for people to, to put it to, in an effort to not deal with it is to put it down as, you know, oh, you're making it up or, you know, it's, it's, it's not real or it's all in your head. It's not a real thing. And it's very, very difficult to, to make any traction with, with that kind of attitude. Although I understand it because it's not, it is difficult to, to adequately um, explain to people what it feels like when you're in the grip of a mental health illness. I'm sure. And, and I know from your story, Carrie, it really moved me both times you've spoke now at KetoCon. And I'm, I'm so happy we, we joked about both being introverts that you came to my booth and said, we need to talk about this. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> because I always have a hard time getting out of my shell. Um, but um, I know from your story that you've really been a self-propelled machine. And I know you brought, was it her name, uh, Sarah on stage? Yes. I had listened to you talk the year before and really have been working with also individuals on how to really self-care and I guess do the work in, a, in an often underserved area. Um, where do you feel one of the biggest cruxes uh, is of, of being disserved and how do things need to change in the way that we go about this as a, a medical institution? I think the biggest thing for me is that it felt like there's, there's a lack of critical thinking going on in particularly with mental health, but actually in the medical profession at all. I think because I get the impression that, that doctors, when they're in medical school, they are taught to treat symptoms. They're taught to look for symptoms and treat symptoms. And I don't think that's what we need to be doing. I don't think that's, I mean, that's helping people short term, but long term, it's not. So if from my perspective, the, the one thing that could completely revolutionize healthcare is asking why. Yes. Asking the critical questions. Why do I have bipolar? Like, I know I have these symptoms and you call all people who have a similar set of symptoms, you call them bipolar, you put that label on them, but why? do I have bipolar? And nobody was asking that. And, and similarly, I mean, I have, I have other things, psoriasis. Nobody asked why I had it. They were all focused on stopping the symptom, but they weren't right. focused on the underlying cause. And for me, uh, that, in my experience, that's the biggest problem I see. And, and that would, if people started asking why, and looking for root cause, it will change everything. Yes. Oh, I, I love that. And I think that was just what, Becky, one of our images we made when we did the functional mm -hmm. medicine episode, right, is that we look for the why versus the what. And unfortunately, that's how so many physicians are trained in 
finding the diagnosis first because of the way that our insurance system works. You have to have an ICD-10 code to, to even bill, you know, so the, the search is to find the what, the what is the issue. And then often what spills is a cascade of algorithms or basically these predetermined treatment protocols that aren't customized because unfortunately the way our medical model works is often the doctor doesn't even have the time to understand the why in, in the way our billing system works. Um, and so let's talk about some of the whys. Carrie, what was the first one that came into light for you or an aha moment of there, there could be a reason why I, I, I have this mental illness and, and kind of your personal discovery? I just honestly, I just, I, I've been depressed my entire life. Um, I had been, as I now know, continually misdiagnosed and mistreated for unipolar depression, which was always a disaster because as I now know, if you're bipolar and you're treated with unipolar antidepressants, the results are always horrible. You shouldn't treat bipolar people with unipolar antidepressants. So, but I spent most of my life being treated for the wrong thing. And then in, but what precipitated me getting just completely mad about the whole thing was five years ago, I had a mental break and I ended up um, quite dramatic in handcuffs in the ER. As a result of that, um, I was mandated to find a psychiatrist and as and that's when I was uh, diagnosed with bipolar 2 as opposed to unipolar depression and then there followed a series of um meetings with psychiatrists and and doctors because all that they were focused on was finding a medication that would keep me stable. And that was very much touch and go. They would try something and if it worked, great. And if it didn't, we'd move on to the next one. So I think it was about when I got to about the fifth one that we found something that was making me able to, to cope on a very basic level. I was able to get up and go do my job, which is kind of important because I'm single <laughs> and I had no other means of support. So, but even then, after nine months after my mental break, even despite the medication that I was on, I became suicidal. And I went through the most awful eight months of my brain trying to kill me every waking moment. And eventually, I found a doctor who put me on Lamotrigine, which is an anti-seizure medication. And that was awesome for six months. And then I became suicidal again. And so they doubled the dose and life was awesome for six months. And then I became suicidal again. And it was at that point that I just, I, I just lost it. I, I was just like, this is not, I, I can't spend the rest of my life sure. going through these cycles of, you know, feeling joy and, and being able to cope and then being suicidal and their answer is to double the dose. I can't just keep doubling the dose of this, this, you know, pharmaceutical just to keep me stable. And so I got a bit mad and I started saying, you know, why do I have bipolar? Why did this happen? Why suddenly did I have this mental break? Was it environmental? Was it food? Was it genetics? Was it, you know, why do I have this? And no one was asking that. So that was kind of what precipitated it, was that after my bipolar diagnosis, nobody was interested in why. Everybody was just interested in, in having me spend $1,500 a month on pills to keep me stable. And that, to me, was not sustainable particularly because I was doubling the dose every six months. So that's what started my, my determination to become my own detective. And because it makes sense to me, maybe it doesn't make sense to anyone else, but it made sense to me that if I could figure out why I had bipolar, I might actually be able to not have bipolar. And kind of put yourself in the driver's seat versus just waiting on the when to break, when, when a switch has to be made. Right. 
So I actually fired everybody. I fired every doctor, every psychiatrist. I fired everybody. Um, and then I started the process of trying to figure it out. I started with genetics because of all the things that, that could have been at the root cause, it felt like genetics was the, the easiest to look at because it's finite. It's, you know, your genetics are your genetics. Mm -hmm. So I got my, um, I, I sent off for my, my DNA and I got my DNA report. And about the same time, I also bumped into a doctor on Twitter who I think a lot of you may have heard of is Ted Naiman. Mm -hmm. Um, and he, I started talking to him about genetics and, and the bipolar came up and he said, I think I can help you. And so I started working with him and that was when, um, I went on the ketogenic diet. So, so that was, that was definitely part of my healing was the ketogenic diet. And then also the results from the, the DNA helped me enormously to unravel why I had bipolar. Okay. So what did you learn from the DNA piece of things? We'll get into keto in a few moments here, but we've talked on the podcast prior about MTHFR. We've interviewed Ben Lynch back on episode 70, um, talking about his recent book, Dirty Genes. Um, what did you learn about, I've heard you talk about MTHFR definitely and COMT and, and what were the findings and, and what did that uh, kind of shed some light on for you, Carrie? So the big thing that I found out was that I do have the MTHFR mutation and that was literally life-changing for me. Um, I also found out that I have a, a genetic intolerance to gluten, although I'm not celiac, but I do have a genetic intolerance to gluten. I also found out that my dopamine and serotonin pathways, which are responsible for mood balance, were, were broken in about 40 different places. Um, and I also have, mostly because of the MTHFR, I have a, a much reduced ability to detox. So my liver doesn't do on its own um, a very good job of getting rid of toxins once they enter your body. So if you add those four things up, it was... It, it was bound to happen that my brain was going to go sideways at some point. Oh, the, the big thing I forgot to mention was um, I people with MTHFR have a hard time methylating to various lesser or greater degrees. One of the things that methylation is needed for is B vitamins. When we, when we take in B vitamins, uh, we actually have to process them into a form we can use by a process of methylation. I don't have the ability to methylate or it's very reduced. And so I found out that I'd had a, a lifelong severe deficiency of B vitamins because I can't methylate them. Why that's important is the number one role of B vitamins is neurotransmitter health. Mm -hmm. So my neurotransmitters had never had the nutrients they needed because I couldn't methylate the B vitamins into a form that I could use. My serotonin and dopamine pathways were broken in about 40 different places. I had a genetic intolerance to gluten, and I also have a very much reduced ability to detox. So toxins build up in my body and I can't get rid of them easily. So adding all that stuff together, it was it's really no surprise that at some point my brain went sideways one way or the other. In my case, it was bipolar too. Sure. If you don't have the, you know, for people that are trying to understand, it's like trying to engineer a bridge with toothpicks and not having anything to bind the pieces together and strengthen them. And these B vitamins play such an integral role as cofactors and activators in our neurotransmitter production and uh, as Carrie's saying, then there's a bunch of other enzyme pathways like MAO, which can play a role with dopamine, and COMT, which can play a role with our epinephrine, which can get driven in an excess. And many of these drugs, there's these cocktail approaches of more of, again, the downstream effect of influences on the reuptake or the communication on a receptor level of our neurotransmitters. But if there's unpredictable environmental role of production or building blocks or metabolism of the drug, 
there can be varied responses. And that's why sometimes these drugs work for a specific point in time and they can leave us in more severe of a state or, you know, back to square one. And, and it's this constant kind of reshifting versus working with, again, the, the why and the what the body needs. Yep, absolutely. So how about your role with, you made, you made a note on um, environment. So before we go deep into keto, um, well, let's talk a little bit about food irritants, I guess, and just generally inflammation. So you had mentioned psoriasis, which again, to, to someone in a functional mindset, they're looking at the skin as one of the largest organs and, and detoxification and potential bacteria or yeast imbalance or leaky gut. Um, what discoveries did you make specific with food irritants? Um, what did you remove from your diet um, beyond that gluten genetic element that you determined? So it was interesting when I, when I, I, I'm a, I know we don't know each other very well yet, but I'm an all or nothing kind of girl. So when I <laughs> fired everybody and said, I'm going to be my own detective, I didn't just kind of do one thing at a time. I did all the things I, I sent off for my DNA. I, I looked for a doctor that could help me with diet. I also sent off for more blood tests and weird food sensitivity tests than, than are known to man. I literally had to go and do blood draws three days straight because they couldn't get enough blood out of me for all the vials they needed. <laughs> so <laughs> all the tests. <laughs> at, at the same, they were taking, they were actually it got to the point where they were actually doing blood draws from my feet because no other, all my other veins were like, no, no more. Went, no, oh my God. <laughs> so I had like pinpricks all over me, but, so I also found out at around the same time that I had more food sensitivity. I had, I was sensitive to virtually everything. And, and I also had a massive case of leaky gut, of course, because one, one leads to the other. Um, so I had leaky gut. I had, I, I, hordes of food sensitivities I also discovered because I did stool tests and I was testing everything and I did stool tests and so I discovered that I had a massive E. coli infection in my gut that I didn't mm. know about and you know on and on and on we traced that E. coli infection back to um, a series I'd had um, about eight months prior I'd had to have three courses of antibiotics in quick succession. One was for an ear infection. One was for, I cut the roof of my mouth and I don't remember what the other one was for. And of course, that's the point at which the E. coli had gone, woohoo, there's nothing protecting her, off yeah. you go. And so that had been like festering for eight months. So I, I had this like perfect storm of all the tests and finding out all the things at the same time. So I actually went on a food elimination when, you know, you know this, Ali, when um, you have leaky gut, you know, the only way you've got to stop the, the, the chaos by stopping eating the things that are irritating and try and heal the gut. So I, we took out all the foods that I was sensitive to, which we don't have time for me to list. And then we layered keto and therapeutic keto on the top of that and so I was left with nine foods that I could actually eat wow and so for three months I ate nine foods on a four-day rotation or maybe three-day three-day rotation because again as you know it's also important to rotate yes. your foods yeah because you can actually cause yourself to become sensitive to something by eating too much too often so i had these nine things that i rotated on a three-day basis for three months and that was all i ate and and then i started supplementing with the methylated pre-methylated b vitamins and we started protocols for healing my leaky gut and supporting my liver and and doing all the detox because now I knew that you know detox is a real thing for me my liver can't do it or can't do it very well so there was you know years of, of toxins from the environment and food and whatnot that were still piling up in my body so yeah it was a fun time <laughs> oh my goodness oh my goodness 
So beyond the B vitamins, and I'm sure there's a laundry list of other supplements, but I'd love to know just a few of the the key players that you brought in as maybe daily supplements or foods you brought in in abundance after going through the leaky gut protocol and adding foods back. What did your what did your game look like in terms of reintroduction, and then what were your key supplements through all of this? So supplements is going to be hard for me to recall because it's all you know and two and a half years down the road you'll know that detox takes it takes years it's like fat loss right you didn't get fat in a month you're not going to you're not going to get thin in a month same with detox you know if you've been building up toxins for your entire life it's going to take you a long time it's a journey to get rid of it and i honestly don't it, the the supplements, the various supplements I've had over the last two and a half years are, are a, a lot of a blur. Kind of phasing because, in and out. Yeah. Right. And, and you know, Ali, that it's your, your health, your body, your needs are never static. Right. You never get to that point where it's like, okay, I take this every day in the morning and this at night and that's it and I'm going to do that forever. It, your, your body changes and particularly when, when you're healing – your, you need to tweak, or as I said in my KetoCon talk, you need to seek the tweak constantly. <laughs> you know, maybe every month you need to go, okay, so this part of my body is healed. Now, is this dose of methylated B vitamins still appropriate for right. Carrie now as opposed to Carrie when we first discovered that she had MTHFR? And I think, I don't know if you covered this with um, Dr. Ben Lynch, but in his book, Dirty Genes, he talks about how some people, once they're, they get their B levels up to where they should be, um, they can actually stop altogether right. or they can reduce the dose. Um, my naturopath has MTHFR and for her it's seasonal. She has to take more in the winter and less in the summer. And so it will be incredibly difficult for me to remember off the top of my head what what all the different supplement things sure. like at any one point in time. Sure. Um, we did, um, after three months, we started slowly introducing um, or testing foods that had previously been on my, on my um, food sensitivity list. And we actually started with, with, uh, leafy greens that I added back in, but it's a very slow process. We also added back in eggs, I think, early on because eggs are such an amazing food. Oh. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially for keto, they're like the perfect keto food because <laughs> yeah. of the, the fat in the, in the yolk. So we added back um, eggs early on, and then we started with what might be considered lighter foods. I was, I was lucky in that the three of the foods I still got to eat when I was down to nine was duck and lamb and bison. So, Oh, and and pork. So I had not not been deprived in the meat department. Sure. Um, And were you already playing with lards and tallow or is that when you started to get creative on the culinary level? Uh, Tell tell us about that kind of transition of finding abundance (laughs) in a state of restriction or how that that looked for it, you. I, I have to say in my, so I, for people who don't know me, which is probably most of you, I'm a pastry chef by trade. So <laughs> I, which is weird now cause I don't use anything <laughs> that chefs use, but anyway, so, but that's how I started out. So I have okay. a, a fascination with food and I love food. And so I, I'm, I can be very, very creative with food because that was my, that's my trade, but that used to be my trade. Um, and, but I have to say that I have always found that restriction leads to more creativity, not less creativity. So that's been true in all areas of my life is the more something is restricted, like it kind of forces you to become creative so that you don't get bored. Um, and I found this to be true then just, um, although during the three months, the first three months where I was on the rotation, I was so exhausted at that point. And, and there was just so much going on that it was actually awesome 
to just pan fry two duck breasts and eat them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like, don't overcomplicate it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and, and get my three ounces of macadamia's nuts and eat them. So for that three month period, it was yeah. almost like I had like three months where I didn't have to really have to do meal prep was literally five minutes. I didn't have to do anything. I didn't have to think about everything. I just pulled open my spreadsheet and said, oh, that's what I'm eating at breakfast. That's what I'm eating at lunch. That's what I'm eating for dinner. And it was literally like, okay, I'm going to have eight ounces of bacon or okay, I'm going to have a duck breast or I'm going to eat a handful of macadamia nuts. And, and so during that period, I wasn't creative at all, but that was okay because I was focusing all my energies on, on, self-care on okay yeah. making sure i take all the right supplements at the right time and making sure i was doing all the other detox protocols that are so helpful like the epsom salt foot baths the magnesium flake baking soda full body baths the far infrared sauna there's all of these things that can help with detox so yeah. i was able to focus on that because i had zero focus on food and I think I actually went and bought three months of food at one time. And, and then it was just nine things and I bought three yeah. months worth and I just did it on rotation and it was super easy. Um, well, because you, you know, in life, you don't, you don't have to focus on everything all the time. You can take a break from one thing to in order to allow you to focus on another part that needs looking at. You don't have to do it all. I love that because I think all too often we, with anything, right, whether it's weight loss, whether it's diabetes, whether it is mental health, we get into a plan and then we want to do everything. We want to start exercising. We just start doing, I should be meditating. I should be doing, it's like, hey, <laughs> mellow out, focus on one, become an expert of that and then expand and grow. And I want to transition to talking a little bit deeper into keto. And I, I think it's so interesting. And I've seen clinically that the anti-seizure medication you mentioned can have a huge positive outcome for bipolar. So there's definitely some potential overlap of a, of a mechanism there. Um, but I just want to really quick, because I don't know if I'll get the opportunity in another episode, um, just bring a little bit more of awareness of the bell of pathogens, gut pathogens and mental illness. And I think that that discovery of E. coli is really important. Often in a lot of us have parents now that are elderly or in long-term care facilities and that really is one of the biggest overlooked drivers of dementia and mania and severe anxiety is often a UTI that goes overlooked in the elderly population. And um, what happens is the bacteria drive something called LPS, lipopolysaccharide, and that creates penetration within the intestines and crosses the blood-brain barrier, and that can substantially interfere with our neurotransmitters. And then in the elderly population, a lot of them are so immunologically compromised that they have to go on really high-dose aggressive antibiotics, and that can kind of just swipe them and, and go through the ringer. So something to really be so mindful of is the use of probiotics as a big tool to maintain mental health and also looking at the role of the biome and, and gut assessments if we have a family member or a loved one that's dealing with a mental illness. I just find that to be super, super integral to, to a root cause. It is. the, And I think it's, it's becoming, I see it being talked about more and more about yes. the, the gut being the second brain and how we absolutely have to take care of our guts. It's of paramount importance, and particularly for the, they estimate third of the population who have this MTHFR genetic mutation, it's absolutely critical that we, we keep our guts healthy. I believe I'm right in saying that, that serotonin, which is responsible for mood balance, is actually produced in the gut. Yes, and, so, and majority of the GABA and dopamine actually as well. So if your gut's out of whack, it's not going to be any surprising, any surprise that your brain feels wonky. Right, right. The production shop is shut down. <laughs> you know what I mean? If you're not fermenting appropriately, if you're not creating, and, and that's right, like you said, and that's why it's a whack-a-mole, if you will, right? So you might be getting the B vitamins, you have those, uh, maybe joints to connect those toothpicks of the bridge, but you don't have the production, the workers have gone home and that's the probiotics, you know, so you need right. all the pieces of the puzzle for sure. 
but I think I think that um, that that is, and again, I'm not a doctor, uh, so this is just my opinion. But I feel like I've had a lot of experience in in a wonky body. That um, that why keto seems to be so helpful for so many things, and I have a theory that a lot of that is to do with the gut, and and what what it not being it's not keto that's the thing it's the absence of the carbs that's making the massive difference because it's the carbs that if you have bad bacteria in your gut if you have some of those things that ali just mentioned about you know dementia i i you if they're not being fed by sugars or things that turn to sugar once you eat them you're not feeding them and so they're not able to thrive and they're not able to create havoc and they're not able to create all the symptoms that we see, if that made sense. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yes. So I think, I think with, with keto, <laughs> keto has been magical for me, but, but I wonder how much of it is actually most of it is the absence of carbohydrates that's stopping feeding whatever nasty beasties might be lurking inside you that then either go into remission or die altogether, which is why your, your physical symptoms stop. So why my psoriasis is now almost gone is because there's, there's nothing, it's not being what's creating that is not being fed provoked. Right. And it is, it's, it's this, uh, food as medicine in our approach. And when I talk about the use of the ketogenic diet in the anti-anxiety, uh, diet book, it is, it's a double-edged sword. It's both the removal of the carbohydrates that can, like you said, carry fuel dysbiosis. The excessive carbs can actually fuel, uh, you know, energy substrate, crash and, and fluctuations, which can play mood disturbances and addictive tendencies with insulin being uh, obesogenic and also uh, being a uh, inflammatory hormone. But there is also some very cool things about the role of ketones themselves crossing the blood-brain barrier and the way that they can sit on you know synapses in the brain and the same mechanisms, like we mentioned, to stop epilepsy, we're talking about excitatory neurotransmitters. So epinephrine, norepinephrine, and, and these uh, bells and whistles or alarm systems of the stress response, they get very grounded when ketones are able to modulate that expression in the brain. And, and not many things cross the blood-brain barrier. So it's always when you can find something that has a positive mechanism, I think there's also the benefit of, of actually having ketones in the, in the bloodstream. Yep. I, um, I don't know all the terms like you do. Um, but I, I know just from my symptoms and tracking my symptoms and figuring out when symptoms started that, that, that that's all true. Sure. And then Carrie, do you see importance in terms of looking at a certain level of blood ketones? And, you know, when you started all of this, did you go down that path of, um, chasing ketones for a while, or um, is it more just about carb control in general? So for me, um, folks need to remember that I did not start keto for weight loss or fat loss. I started keto for my brain. So Dr. Naiman's goal was that I would have dark purple ketones. So yes, I was uh, peeing on sticks. And the goal was to make sure that I had the darkest uh, purple uh, ketone level as possible. But again, that was for my brain. That wasn't for fat loss. And so I did that for three months, actually more than that, for four, four or five months. And then I, I stopped just because I felt like I'd learned how my body felt yeah. when it was right rather than having to. So for the first, I think for four months, I did pee on sticks, uh, but that was to make sure that I was in therapeutic ketones. And we were actually trying to get my ketones as high as possible. Um, but I do not track anymore. I go by how I feel, but I think that the ketone, peeing on ketone sticks helped me yes. to learn <laughs> what it felt like. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
And, and how about let's talk about with your chef transition as Becky and I are both foodies as well. We love talking about abundance um, and we really like to use this kind of real food keto approach and work with people to channel savory. What are some of, uh, I have on my queue this week, Carrier Sour Cream and Chive Biscuits. They look amazing. <laughs> Let's talk about some of your highlight recipes and things you've created in an abundance perspective that are keto friendly and staples that people should learn about on your blog. So I'm right now, right now I'm most famous for keto ice cream, but, but I want, but that was kind of an accident. I actually do not spend most of my time focused on desserts or recreating old garbage in a keto form sure. uh, because I don't, that's not really, those are treats. That's not really what people need. People need whole real food that they can eat every day. Yeah. They, they don't need the, you know, keto Danish or, you know, all of that stuff that that's not what they need. Those should be treats. So what I focus most of my time on is creating just real world everyday food um, that people can eat on a daily basis. That's just whole fresh food, but without the carbs. So that's that's my focus. So yes, my the sour cream and chive biscuits are the number one recipe on my blog. They have for a long time. People absolutely love them, and and that's awesome. I just don't create that stuff very often because okay. I think those things should be, you know, treats, not something that you base your keto lifestyle around. They should be an addition. And how about um, if you were, for people that are listening and looking to get a little bit more creative in the kitchen, what would be if you were stuck on an island, Carrie? <laughs> what are five kitchen essentials for, that people need? As Let's talk tools and then five needed ingredients on an island question. <laughs> what would be your five kitchen essential tools? Knives. you got to have good knives. Yeah. Um, five essential kitchen tools. What could I do? What do I use every day? Uh, so, and this is, this might even, people might not even think of this as a tool, but my, my things I use every day for myself are mostly a knife or two, cutting boards, uh, saute pan or frying pan or whatever you want to call it. And, um, Tongs, meat tongs, and what else would I use on a... The one thing I'd probably not do so well without is a blender. I have a blender, mm -hmm. yeah. I, I know it's not on everybody's budget. Um, I do make a lot of, of soups, and so for me, a blender is something that I use a lot. Yeah. So, But I, I do believe, even though... I, you know, I create recipes that that's my thing. I do believe in trying to keep keto as simple as possible. You don't, and this might be weird. People think this is weird for a chef to say, but you don't have to make recipes to do keto. You, yeah. you don't have to learn how to be a chef to be yes. keto. You can do keto incredibly successfully and you can have fabulously delicious food just doing the basics you don't don't feel this it feels to me like there's a lot of pressure out there for recipes 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 and i don't want people to be overwhelmed thinking i can't do keto because i can't cook or i can't do keto because um you know these recipes are so long and complicated and they take time you don't have to keto that way if you love cooking which all three of us do yes. and you love creating and, and you're trying new recipes. That's awesome. I just don't want the people that for who that's not a thing to think that they can't do keto. Right. Exactly. So what are the ingredients Then we've got the tools down? What are your five kind of go-to key ingredients and, and, you know, things that people might already have at home or what's, what's in your kitchen all the time? What's in my kitchen all the time? If I'm so, if I'm making recipes, um, one of the things that I have found most useful is 
konjac flour or glucomannan powder, which is a, uh, I've lost my word. Um, it's a, it's not a starch. It's a, it's a soluble fiber. It's a, it's a, a gel, gelatin like fiber. It's an insoluble fiber. <laughs> yes. That's what it is. Um, so I use that. It is hands down the best thickener for keto. Mm. You, you know, a lot of people have, have read recipes where they use guar gum or xanthan gum to thicken. If those are heated and, or you don't get the quantity quite right. And, or particularly with dairy products, it's incredibly easy for both of those things to get really slimy, to give you a really slimy texture and not very pleasant. You don't get that with konjac flour. You also use way less konjac flour than you would the gums, but you get a, for example, a sauce, or if you're thickening a meat dish, you, it is as close to cornstarch as as I have found, and I've tried just about everything that's available out there. So konjac flour, also known as glucomannan powder, is my is an absolute staple. That's my go-to thickener because it doesn't come with the associated problems that guar and xanthan inherently have in them. It's also way, way, way easier to use than the gums too. So you have to make like a slurry had, with it, Carrie. You make like a slurry with it, and then you'd mix it into something. Or I, you, you can, but the method that that seems to be easiest for me now is that once you've finished your dish, you've you've got a pan of soup, or you've got a, a meat dish in your pan, and it's finished. You just sprinkle with one hand. You just sprinkle the the konjac flour over the surface and whisk with the other hand. Okay. And, and then it does take a couple of minutes to thicken. Okay. So you do need to be a little bit patient. It doesn't thicken immediately, but that's good because it means you have time to get it in without it becoming lumpy and horrible, right. Right. which is exactly what happens with the gums. Mm-hmm. So you sure. have this like instant gummy mess. So yeah, sprinkling over the surface with one hand while whisking with the other. So you probably never had anyone who said the number one ingredient was. I have not. And you know, what's really funny, Carrie, you can't see on the back end, but in my notes, I had a question about your use of cognac flour and glucomannan, because I used to use that in clinic for, uh, you know, lipid lowering effects or regulation and also for satiety when people were dealing with hunger because it does, it helps with the stretch receptors in the gut and it's favorable for the GI tract. Unlike you said, you know, many of the other binders and fillers, or, or texture stabilizers can have negative GI effects. So I think that's an right. awesome ingredient. It, it is. So from a health perspective also, it is awesome. Yeah. Um, so I am slowly changing the world. I'm slowly moving <laughs> the world away from the gums and yes. racing the konjac flour. But we need to hurry up because right now it's, it's hard to find unless you shop on Amazon have it easy, easy but it's hard to find you the stores. So we need to move the whole world to okay, so that we it. get it in the stores and everybody can use it, but it is okay. hands down the best keto thickener. So that is the number one thing. Okay. That <laughs> you all need to go get some and it, it, it might seem a little bit expensive when you first buy it, but you use a tiny amount. Okay. So that one pot lasts you forever. And what about um, your favorite, like, yeah, staple fats in your kitchen or things that when you travel to someone else's house, you want to make sure they have so that you can prepare a yummy meal? So I, I use butter. I, I've always been a big fan of butter. Even before I knew about low-carbon keto and all of that, it just felt very wrong to me that I would shun butter over a chemical, a pile of chemicals in a tub. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I, that's just the way I've always been. I, it just, that never made sense to me. So maybe I, the universe was trying to tell me something. All those <laughs> so butter is my go-to and then um, avocado oil, okay. oil um, yeah. because coconut, well, one, I went through a period where I had a really – uh, inflammatory response to coconut. So for about nine months, I had to stop eating all coconut. But also, avocado oil has it's completely flavorless. So I use avocado oil 
preferentially because it doesn't alter the flavor. You're not going to get any kind of coconut twang to what you're cooking. Yes. Coconut oils vary. I mean, you know, for all the different ones that are available, some of them do taste coconutty. Some of them taste completely neutral. Um, but to avoid people going through 58 different brands of coconut <laughs> oil to find one they like, if you just use avocado oil, then you're good because it has no flavor. So for cooking, I use butter and avocado oil primarily. Um, I do use bacon fat sometimes. If I have duck fat, duck fat is like manna from heaven. Duck fat is the best <laughs> yes. thing ever. Anything cooked in, uh, if there's something you don't like, just right. cook it in bacon in duck fat. <laughs> And yes. your life will be complete. However, in Brussels sprouts differently, <laughs> yes. right? And I and I, I I caveat all of this because I do try. One of the things I'm very cognizant of is people's budgets. So I do try and keep the cost low. So I'm never gonna. I might love duck fat, and I'm, but I'm never gonna make a recipe that requires duck fat because right now it is so expensive. So yes. I would choose to use avocado oil or coconut oil or butter because they're more ready available and they're more budget friendly. So that doesn't mean that I don't love duck fat or I don't use it. It's just that I'm never going to put it in my recipes to require people to go out and buy one more weird, expensive new ingredient because I want to make keto available and, and doable for the majority of people. Yes. One less barrier to success or one less reason of why, why not? I agree. Yeah. I think that's wonderful. So that's something that I think about a lot when I'm developing recipes. So I think the number of ingredients I use is smaller than most yes. recipe developments, but that's because I'm thinking about budget and availability as well as all the other things. Awesome. I love that. And I can't wait to play with some cognac flour because that's something I've never even, <laughs> I've never purchased it. Um, so it is so, so yeah. very, very, it is magical, Becky. Um, absolutely magical. And you'll, you'll, um, Rekha Jay, who you may know, she does all the graphic art for the Keto Evangelist Empire. And she did my cookbook covers. She calls it Eye of Newt. <laughs> I love it. Oh my goodness. <laughs> she um it, it is magical and the, the we we run a, a very large uh, Facebook group, Keto Evangelist Kitchen Facebook group, and the tide has definitely turned over there because every time someone says what's the best thickener, a hundred people will say contract flour. <laughs> That's awesome. So, and and there's um uh, so there's 130,000 people over there that know, <laughs> but they all, they all post and they say, Oh my goodness, contract flour changed my life. Oh my goodness. I no more gums. Oh, this is fabulous. So yeah, Love it. contract flour for the win. Awesome. Awesome. So cool. And we'll link to some of those favorite products for sure in the show notes. And I want to make sure that we hit two more questions here. Um, so um, as we'll be featuring this story in Suicide Prevention Month, um, I guess what I would love to hear from you, Carrie, is just kind of the, the short of your words of wisdom for someone who's struggling with mental illness of any form. This is, this is always a super hard question because having, even having been there, having spent eight months being consistently suicidal for every waking minute it's so hard to know what um what to tell other people to do to try and help you because the darkness can be so dark that you become almost unreachable um but some things that i would say things to focus on if you're struggling is make sure that your home is completely, whatever your MO, whatever your plan is, if you have a plan, whatever that is, make sure the tools to facilitate that plan are not within your easy reach. So for me, it was my method of choice would have been drugs. By drugs, I mean painkillers. Mm -hmm. things that you would have at home. So 
I removed all of them from my house, from my first aid kits in my car, from everywhere, and they all went to live at my friend's house. That just means that there's a buffer between the thoughts about suicide and actually being able to carry it out in the hope that that buffer is enough time for someone to come help you or for you to get yourself to the hospital or whatever, but there's a buffer. Or you would have to get up and get dressed and drive to the pharmacy to get a, a, a bucket of aspirin or whatever it is. That would be enough time for you to move away from the suicidal thoughts. So that's one thing is, is protect yourself. Um, another thing I would suggest that I found really powerful was to make a, a verbal and if you want written commitment to one or more people that you will not hurt yourself until you have spoken to them. Mm. And I found that that public like declaration, that promise very, very powerful. There were times when I was suicidal where I actually remembered, oh, wait, I promised Mark, my therapist, I promised Mark that I would call him before I did anything. And, and so I'm going to have to do that. That for me was very, very powerful. Um, if you are experiencing suicide, just tell, have a few people who do understand and who can come over or, or come and help you if need be, have a call sign, one word that you can text them that they know that you're, you're in a really difficult place. So those are some of the things that I would do that helped keep me alive. Um, and obviously, you know, calling the mental health lines if, if you have no one around you that can help. But, but on a separate note, I mean, and that's when you're in crisis, but on, on a separate note, I would absolutely encourage anybody that, that struggles with any form of mental health to get off carbohydrates Yes, in all forms, just get off the carbohydrates. And, and for, for some of us where this might be driven by candida or some other bacterial infection that's actually causing the depression, that can be the hugest battle because the bugs are screaming at you. The bugs are causing these massive cravings for carbohydrate because that's what they need to eat. So I recognize that this can be incredibly difficult. Um, but I, I do whatever you can to get off all carbohydrates and you will feel better. And also if, if it's absence of carbohydrates, but also addition of healthy fats to try and mm -hmm. bathe your brain in the fats and the ketones. I, I think that's probably the most powerful thing that you could do long-term. I absolutely wish that when people, when, when children were born, they got a DNA file with them. Mm-hmm but whatever it would cost, just like, oh, here's your baby and here's its DNA so that we could get ahead of problems like MTHFR. You probably don't have your DNA. If you have a mental health issue, I would highly recommend if there's any way possible that you get your DNA file and you start looking at what might be going wrong for you that is the root cause of your mental health issue. Yes. And, and then finding a, a, a functional medicine practitioner yes. that can interpret it yes. is equally yeah. as important. Yes, yes, absolutely. Forgot that part. So <laughs> do your DNA and then and don't listen to what I did. Use what I did as an inspiration, but don't go out and buy yourself methylated B vitamins. Don't try and self-medicate right. with that. You, everybody's needs are different. And I cannot stress more how important it is to find either a functional medicine doctor 
or a naturopath who can help you figure out the best dose for you. And I'm, I don't know whether Dr. Ben Lynch mentioned this, but overmethylation yes. can be just as bad as undermethylation. The symptoms of overmethylation can be horrible. So please don't try and do this on your own. Get your mm-hmm. DNA and then find someone that can help you figure out the exact, you know, what's going wrong for you. Awesome. And, um, I'm going to, can I, can I quote you, Carrie? <laughs> I pulled a quote. Something I actually said. Yes. I, yes. <laughs> I think so. Um, I pulled a quote. I just think it'll be a nice closing. And then, and then we have to ask you our final question that we ask to every guest we bring on the show, um, which I'm excited to hear. But, um, you had said at KetoCon, um, I think it was after, like I had mentioned to the people that missed the lecture, uh, you had brought on someone that had heard you the year prior and talked about, I think you had a list of what, 27 medications that she had been mm-hmm. on. Yeah. Brought it down to two or three. She's down to one now. I thought two, two now, I think. Yeah. Wow. Wow. And what you had said after kind of having her on was just, you are important, important enough to do the work for important enough to spend the time getting yourself healthy. And I just really and- like that. And it's just, you know, I was spending, people say, you know, well, I can't afford the 23andMe or I can't afford to eat keto. I was spending for the three years leading up to me being my own detective and and taking care of all this stuff, I was spending $39,000 a year on medical expenses, on bipolar medication, on psychiatrists, on psychotherapists, on being hospitalized for migraines that I couldn't get ahead of, $39,000 a year. I could not afford not to do this because now my medical costs are 30 bucks a month for methylated B vitamins. Yeah. <laughs> I was waiting for more, but <laughs> right. And, and, and so, and I actually don't find on keto, the amount of food I eat is so much less. Right. Right. That I can afford to buy the, you know, the ribeye steak or the grass fed right. or the Kerrygold butter because the volume of food I eat is so much less than I ate before. So <laughs> So, and I know this may be hard for some people, especially people who are on a really limited budget. Trust me when I tell you, you can't afford not to do this. Mm. I love that. Also, <laughs> and it's not just money, but you'll also be well. Yes. Right. So important. I think that's an amazing notion for us to kind of close things out with and leave with listeners. Um, but the last question that Ali and I always ask every time we have a guest, because we are dietitians, um, we want your 24 hour recall. So Carrie, I would love to know what you ate yesterday from the time that you woke up to the time that you went to bed. So, so for, for, for listeners, Ali and, and Becky just found out that I have Lyme disease and um, which I'm working on. But if you know anything about Lyme, you know that it eats your brain. <laughs> so my ability to recall. <laughs> this is also a memory test. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> wow, if I'd have known, I'd have, I'd have made notes. Down. Down. My, my recall is, is mostly shot to pieces right now. I know it involved, and I'm going to drop a brand name. I'm not affiliated with them, but I'm going to drop a brand name because it is the best yogurt. I know I had at least two cups of peak yogurt. Okay. Uh, they're plain peak yogurt because it's absolutely fantastic. Um, what else did I have yesterday? I might be getting days muddled up, but I either had bacon or pork chops. I know I nearly set the house on fire. The air, I cooked pork chops in the air fryer and, and that almost didn't go very well, but I did, oh I did learn that my, my smoke detectors work. So that was, <laughs> um, what else did I, do I normally eat? Cause I can't remember exactly what I had yesterday. I had one cup of coffee. I like my coffee with heavy cream. So I did have a cup of coffee with heavy cream. I had yogurt. I had some form of meat, probably pork chops. I think that might have been it yesterday. Okay. All right. And I think that's the beauty too is, you know, when people ask, 
How do you travel and eat healthy on keto? You fast. <laughs> yes. Oh, no, 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 no. Sardines. Sardines. Oh, and okay. Oh, okay. My gosh. Awesome. That sounds my like husband loves to take canned sardines and oysters into work, and he's like the stinky guy. He'll, he'll love to hear that. <laughs> yep. Sardines and um, um, bone broth. Absolutely best road trip food ever. Awesome. Awesome. Great. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Carrie. I think you've shed some light on a much needed topic. And I hope that the information we shared today is helpful for all of you listeners and you can share this with a loved one. We will put links to your YouTube page and website, which is going to be carriebrown.com, which also has your cookbooks and links to your Facebook uh, group with Keto Evangelist Kitchen and all of the things. Um, But just thank you so much for being on here and being such a brave soul to share your journey um, in light of really bringing awareness to mental illness and um, how there can be whys and and root causes with resolution with the ketogenic diet and individualized approaches. I just want people to know if there's a takeaway message, I just want people to know people that are struggling with mental health issues, that there is hope. I do not believe that mental health issues are necessarily a life sentence that I had been led to believe they were. I think that's wonderful. And, and maybe, I don't think we actually said this, but I have been now off all medications. It'll be three years in October. I have been off all medications, so I take no pharmaceuticals, and I've also been completely free from all symptoms of bipolar for that same period, so nearly three years, which is absolutely miraculous to yes. me. Yes. And I think, right. It's something that you're expressing, not something that you have. And that's the difference of understanding. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. I want to kiss you now, Ali. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much, Carrie. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Naturally Nourished podcast. Visit our blog at AllieMillerRD.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food as medicine meal plans. Connect with Allie and Becky at AllieMillerRD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well.